0: You're listening to The Twelve Stone Podcast. For more information on our eight locations or service times, please visit 12stone.com. Now enjoy Pastor Kevin Myers as he delivers the sixth message in the series, Grown Up Faith.
1: When I was a kid, I would ask my dad kind of kid questions. I grew up in India,
0: devout Hindu family and I remember going to temple and we would do all these uh, religious ceremonies. I
1: went to Christian college so I could meet a Christian girl and raise a Christian family. As I got older, questions naturally get more complex.
0: I wanted to know more about heaven and I wanted to know more about hell because I needed to know about my, my brother's eternity. In my
1: early 20s, I became close friends with a guy who was an atheist, and he had questions that I couldn't answer.
0: And I wondered
1: what made Christianity different.
0: I had so many questions. I've
1: got questions. I mean, how do I know that what I believe is even real? I'm at the point in my life where questions just aren't enough. I need answers. So we all have questions. Questions even like of the uh, old band, Kansas. Is it true all we are is dust in the wind? All that lasts forever is the earth and sky. Is that true? Does the earth and sky last forever? There's no end to the earth and sky. And we're just dust. And when we come, we go, there's no soul. When this physical body dies, is that it? Do, do, do we live beyond that? Is there life after are heaven and hell real? And that is our 10th of the 10 big questions. Remember, we've been walking through this. Let me take you back to the reminder that we all have questions in life. And we might have 10,000 questions, as we've been saying in the series, but the core is 10 big. Everybody say it with me. How many? 10 big questions. And these 10 big questions are the foundation of, Of life. How you answer these 10 big questions answers the 10,000 questions. This is your worldview. Answer these well, you get the rest of life right. Let's look at the questions. We've been walking through these in this series. Is life an accident or am I here on purpose? Why do bad things happen to good people? Can I really trust God? Why can't I make my own rules? Why can't God just accept me? As I am. Isn't one way to God narrow-minded? What does it mean to be forgiven? Why don't Christians look different from everybody else? Who needs the church? And finally, are heaven and hell real? So let's answer it right off the top. If you're following along and teaching notes and you do those little fill-in-the-blanks, here we go. According to Jesus, the answer is Yes. Are heaven and hell real? According to Jesus, his answer is what, everybody? Yes. And this is no small conversation today. So let's weigh in, because it is weighty. Jesus said, there is a heaven, there is a hell. Literal, eternal dwelling. Or there's a heaven, and your physical body will pass away on this earth, but the essence of you... Your soul lives forever. And if you are restored to God uh, through the work of Jesus Christ and you believe on him, receive him, then he covers your sin debt and you spend eternity in heaven because of him. And you spend all the rest of your days on earth following him and walking with him because you understand the kingdom of God is here at hand and so he's with you here and now, but you spend eternity with him. Heaven will be awesome beyond your wildest imaginations. And hell? Yeah, hell is, uh, hell is real, literal. And if you dismiss Jesus, deny Jesus, reject Jesus, walk your own path, uh, then you will spend eternity separated from him. And it will be all more awful uh, than you could ever imagine. And by the way, Satan's not in control of hell. He's there punished, eternally separated as well. This is no party. And people, I know, man, really? We're, we're going to talk about that? I mean, talk about Jesus and talk about grace and talk about love. But here's the thing. Um, It was Jesus that taught us about grace and Jesus that taught us about love and Jesus that taught us about hell. And it was the fact of hell, the reality of hell, that we're all going to hell because of sin that motivated God to have compassion, to have what? Compassion on us. That's why. God so loved the world, John 3, 16 and 17. that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son, verse 17, into the world to condemn us. I mean, out of his love for us, God said, because hell is real, I would love you to spend heaven with me. Now that is good news. But people kind of skip the next verse in verse 18. So I'll just put it on the screen. Whoever believes in him, Jesus, is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands what? Condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. And we've talked about this. You know, God did not send Jesus to condemn us. But you can condemn yourself. You know, how could a loving God send people to hell? He doesn't. But you can send yourself I mean, you gotta crawl over Jesus to get to hell. And this is the most serious, weighty conversation in all of heaven and on earth. And we ought to have it honestly. It does us no good to bury our heads in the sand and pretend something other than the truth. People are like, oh, why do you believe in, why do you believe it all in hell? Because Jesus did, 100%. We take polls. What do Americans believe about hell? What the? Does that matter? It's not in my notes. It just Stuff just flows. You have no idea what doesn't get said. Do you like, oh, so 40% of Americans believe there's a hell? Well, the majority aren't even following Jesus. Why would they believe? But if you follow Jesus, then you know it's true. I don't get that I follow Jesus, but there is no hell. What would have been the point of dying on the cross for our sin? That's what's in play. Listen, Jesus is not selling cookies. He's, he's, He's sharing the cure to sin and death. The other day I went into Kroger and there were Girl Scouts out front selling cookies. How many love them? How many just love those, oh my goodness, those are, those, there has to be crack cocaine in those things. I don't know, Some, something's in there. There's no way that those are naturally that addictive. And the other day, uh, a friend shared with me that uh, he's been diagnosed with cancer. And you know what? I did not give him a cookie. Because I know what a cookie is for. A cookie is a sugar filled, feel good moment that fades. And he doesn't need a cookie, he needs a cure. The church is not here handing out cookies. So people can have a feel good moment and that's why the church exists. We carry the cure for sin and death and it is on us to take seriously the call of God to a world that is far from God. The weight of that has to land on us because this is a really big deal, a what? Really big deal, a what? A really big deal. And we all love big deals. Come on now, we all love big deals. I mean, we like to be in big deals, execute big deals, close big deals, be a part of big deals. Sometimes we like to be the big deal. Uh, I was in a big deal conversation, not for me, but for others, uh, when Delta Airlines uh, achieved their year-end profits of 5.2 bi- bi- billion. And I was having a conversation with someone at the bottom of the organization, which happened to be my son, uh, Jake, who's 24 and became a CPA and has a job there and is working in, in, in the corporate office of finance. And I was having a conversation with the top of the organization, Ed Bastion, who's the CEO. It's fun to have a dialogue from the top and the bottom and see the different perspectives. But 5.2 billion is what they brought together, pre-tax revenue, and, and they distributed 1.3 billion billion to their 80,000 employees for bonuses, profit sharing. Everybody got 14% of their income as a bonus because it was such a big year. Now that's a big deal. And Jake is like, Wow, I mean, he got his biggest check. I'm like, dude, that 24, that that was close to my salary uh, back at 24. Man, that's stunning. And everybody's excited and jazzed and they should be. We all love to be a part of big deals, don't we? And the disciples, you can see them hanging around Jesus and saying, look, we gave up a lot to be with you. I mean, Matthew, I'm a tax collector. i got a great business. I'm doing well. And uh, walk away from that and follow you. I hope what you're doing is a big deal. And, and James and John, you know, we got the family fishing business, and we're going to walk away from that and follow you. I mean, you can see these guys in their late teens, maybe 20 years old at the most, saying, hey, please tell me, Jesus, that what we're doing is a big deal. Please tell me that what we're investing in, please tell me what we're setting aside on earth makes sense because what you're doing has to be better be a big deal. And then Jesus pulls him aside and has this conversation. Look on the screen. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world and forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? And Jesus, you know what Jesus is doing right there? He's teaching his disciples, his followers, us included, how to discern between big deals and little deals. Between what? Big deals and little deals. Man, you got to know the difference. And make sure your life is about big deals. I mean, you you get 5.2 billion in pre-tax profit in your business? Big deal. You accomplish, you achieve, you do well in career or finance, you get honors or prestige, it's a big deal. But hang on, it's a big deal until it gets to your soul. Now, your soul, hang on, your soul is the bigger deal. Therefore, all this stuff we're chasing on earth becomes a little deal compared to your soul, which is the big deal. Better know what the big deal is. You better know the difference between the cure and just having a cookie. Most of what we do here on earth is nothing like cook, nothing like just like a cookie. I mean, it's a little bit, you know, fattening, sugar filled, feels good in the moment, and it fades. That's most of success, money, accomplishment, and the like. It's not that it's insignificant. It's not that it doesn't matter. You just need to know it's kind of a cookie and it passes. But you better know what the big deal is, and that's your soul. You are going to live forever. I mean, if you had cancer, listen. If, this is, I know it doesn't happen this way. But if you all had cancer, so across campuses, online, everybody gets joined in this role with it, okay? You have cancer and what gets put in front of you is your favorite cookie imagine it right now some of you I'll lose you but just go there and and then alongside the cookie is the cure to this life threatening cancer the two are sitting in front of you hey, can you not discern the difference between the big deal and the little deal of what's sitting right in front of you well, let's play it out you have cancer it's life-threatening. You have a cookie, your favorite, and the cure sitting in front of you, and you can only have one. How many of you would take the cookie and say, oh, well, I just want a feel-good moment? Anyone? Anyone? If you would, we're here for you. We're here. We'll help you. If your neighbors lift up their hand, you know how to pray. Do some other things. How many of you would grab the cure? How many? Come on. Would that be you? Sure you would, because you can tell a big deal from a little deal. Now, how many of you would grab the cookie after the cure if you had a shot at it? Even the slightest, of course you would. Of course you would. See there, you gotta know what the big deal is, and the big deal is what on earth God is doing. And we're in a big deal. That's why God's telling us the whole story, the big picture. So across campuses, we have not done this in the series yet, but today is the day. I've been teaching you this. It's your turn to do it with me. Make sure your neighbor joins. In fact, just watch them. Everybody put their hands together. We're going to go through the mirror image of the Bible, and I'm going to show you how to remember it here and forevermore. Ready? Everybody get their hands together. Make a little steeple. Look at your neighbor. Make sure they're doing it right. The Bible is one story. The Bible is what? One story. Look at your neighbor. Are they getting it right? The Bible is one story. in two halves. In what? Two halves. Old Testament, New Testament. What are they? Old Testament, New Testament. There are how many major events in the Old Testament? Five. And how many in the New Testament? Five. And they are a what? Mirror image. A what? Mirror image. If your neighbor hasn't got it yet, just lean over. It's a mirror image. Just, okay. And it all turns on the person of who? Jesus Christ. So it all turns on Jesus. You can remember the Bible with your hands. In fact, you can just put them together right there, and you just kind of make that little triangle, and then you can remember the first major event in the Old Testament is God and righteous people are in paradise. The next major event is Satan and sin enter. The next major event is the world is judged and destroyed. That's the bad finger. It's how you remember it. (laughs) I I kept them this way, so I didn't do any... Thing else don't add to this <laughs> and then there's the one world government and then thumbs up God makes a covenant with Abraham and it becomes the old covenant and then Jesus comes which is the the turning point and he fulfills the old covenant and he writes a new one double thumbs up okay and then we have the mirror image the one world government The world is judged and destroyed. A very memorable finger. (laughs) And Satan and sin exit. And God and redeemed people in paradise. Hey, it's just right there in your hands. You can know what on earth God is doing. So let's walk through the last four major events. If you're a note taker, I didn't put great detail. I just gave you space. If you want to jot it down, what you mostly need is the book. I trust you're working through the book. If you're not, jump in, get a hold of it. There are four major events in the end times. It's a significant, simplistic overview. I don't have time for detail here. I just want to highlight. Next major event, after the new covenant that we're in, the era of the church, is a one-world government. Now, the one world government means that everything will eventually come together under one global government. Revelation talks about it. In fact, I'll put this on the screen. I just want you to see this section as a quick summary of it. Again, more detailed in the book. The dragon Satan gave the beast, the Antichrist, his power and his throne and great authority. The whole world was filled with wonder and followed the beast. It was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, all whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life, the Lamb Jesus who was slain in the creation of the world. You you see, a time is coming when in a mere image to the previous time when there was a one world Government, when everyone was united, now there will be a uniting. And listen, the world will think that we have achieved peace. This will feel very religious. It'll be economic unity, language unity, global. And the world will say, see, we can coexist. All religions are the same. And they're not. Because there's only one God. Actually, this is starting the last war with God. And the next major event is the world will be judged and destroyed. Previously by flood, this time by fire. If you want to take your Bibles and turn with me to page 1,227 in Second Peter chapter three. Sometimes we just need to sit and soak in Scripture. I don't need to teach it as much as we need to hear it. Page 1227, Second Peter, chapter three, starting at verse three. If you're on a mobile device, Second Peter. Chapter 3, beginning with verse 3. I, I want you to hear this. I really don't want to teach it as much as you just need to hear it. Sometimes just sit in scripture and let it tell its story. Above all, verse 3, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, Where is this coming? He, Jesus, promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also, the world of that day, of that time, was deluged and destroyed. That's the flood. By the same word, listen, the same God who did that, by the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for what? Fire. Fire being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. That's what's coming. So do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness, and said he is patient with you. Now why hasn't God come back? Because he's being patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, so that we we can bring people to heaven. He wants everyone to come to repentance, but Verse 10, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with the roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Do you know how long it's been since Jesus rose from the dead? Two days. If a thousand years is like a day in heaven for them, for God it's been like a couple of days. We're like, oh, it's been forever. He's like, forever, it's just a couple of days. And then Satan and sin will exit. In Revelation 20, it gives this description and it is horrific. In that final battle, when God demonstrates that he alone is God and defeats Satan, the evil one, who at the beginning thought he ruled in the Garden of Eden when mankind sinned and now discovers that he is ruined, then it says, and God casts Satan and his fallen angels and the Antichrist and the false prophets On and on it goes, into the lake of fire. Listen, you can go read it later. I got it detailed in the book. And then it says, and everyone who has ever lived, great and small, will stand before the great white throne and they will face judgment for what they have done. And everyone whose name was not written in the book of life will be cast into the lake of fire. This is why this is a serious conversation. Because Jesus said hell is real. And then he tells us what's gonna happen at the end. There's no big surprise here. God isn't holding back information. He told us ahead of time and he made it possible for us to know him. This is so sobering. I had one of the more haunting conversations between 28 and 30 years of age. I had a friend, and he was a um, a racquetball friend. We played every week together, and he was spiritually unresolved. Didn't believe in God. Jesus wasn't a follower. And over the months... Uh, we would get into faith conversations, and he would ask questions, kind of like the grown-up faith book that we're in, and, and answering those 10 questions was a whole lot of our dialogue. And and I remember when he he settled, he kind of stepped over the line. He said, you know what? I, I believe it. This, I believe Jesus is true. I believe what he said is true. I believe he's the, the Messiah. I believe he's from God. I believe there's heaven and hell. I'm going to follow Jesus. It was really a glorious a season of time. And, and, and yet, while he was making that, that decision and beginning to walk with God and, and, and engage the church and trying to witness to his wife, over the next several months, uh, he met with such resistance, and he he allowed it to sit with such a discouragement over his soul that his wife didn't respond at the speed that he did. I've never, I've never, I've I've never forgotten uh, that moment he sat down with me and he said, now listen, uh, I gotta tell you something. Uh, right now, I'm going to heaven. And my wife is going to hell and I know it. And I can't keep living with that. So, um, I'm not gonna follow Jesus anymore. I'd rather go to hell with my wife uh, than go to heaven without her so uh, I'm done, and I'll just go to hell. And he walked away, and that uh, he ended our friendship. And man, I I just don't think I've ever gotten over that. I've never had somebody just say, "Yeah, I know it's true, and I'll just I'll go to hell." You know, God confirms you can you can choose hell over heaven. Now uh, you can choose. Uh, Satan over God you can choose sin over holy you can choose lies over truth you can choose this and I, I don't I don't I don't know why we would and people who are like oh there's no hell I C.S. Lewis uh, made a, a statement I, I put on the screen I want you to just man this this captivated me with a sense of it's it's just reasonable and right and true and and, and weighty in the soul Here's what he said in the long run. The answer to all those who object to the doctrine of hell is itself a question. What are you asking God to do? To wipe out their past sins and at all costs? To wipe out their past sins and at all costs? To give them a fresh start, smoothing every difficulty and offering every miraculous help? But he has done so on Calvary. To forgive them, they will not be forgiven. To leave them alone, alas, I am afraid that is what he does. And it just sits like an ache in your soul. Because hell is real. And heaven is real. And I wrote it this way in the book, best day, worst day. At the end of times, there will be a best day and worst day. Worst day for all who dismiss the truth that was in front of them the whole time. Best day for all who said yes to Jesus. Heaven is real. And so it ends with God and redeemed people in paradise. Turn over to Revelation 21. I mean, this, is, this just blows your mind with good. Page 1252, you can find it, Revelation chapter 21. Mobile device, Revelation 21. We'll just read a few segments of it again. I don't need to preach or teach from this. We just need to listen to what he told us. Page 1252, Worship Center Bible Revelation 21, 1, then I saw a new heaven and new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Drop down verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. This is awesome. This is like right back to the Garden of Eden. God's restored us to him. He's now with us. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away if you can't get fired up about what's coming ahead, you had not been listening to what God intends for us. We to be saying, yeah, that's good stuff. Verse 5, he who was seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. It is what? Done. An end's coming. In fact, he said, I'm the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this and I will be their God and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, the liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Verse 23, the city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it light and the lamb is its lamp. Verse 27, nothing impure will ever enter it. You understand, nothing impure will ever enter heaven, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the book of life. And if that's not enough, you read on, and it tells us of the tree of life The very tree of life that we lost in the Garden of Eden is now ours for the healing of the nations. I mean, we just ought to take a moment and say, glory to God for his grace. Heaven is our home. This is our hope. This is our promise. Yeah, we, 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 listen, we get excited about the smallest, most insignificant little things. Get all, just, oh my goodness. A little thing is so big. No, it's not. It's just little Souls, that's the big deal. So how ought we to live? Glad you asked. Because when we've been walking through the story, from the beginning to the end, Old Testament, New Testament, it all turns on Jesus Christ. And now we have these mirror images and we see in the five major events and now we have a new covenant and then there's gonna be the one world government and then the world's gonna be judged and destroyed. And then Satan and sin exit. And now God and redeemed people are in paradise. What next? Well, you got to know where you are. If you're on the mall map, walking through the mall, and you got to figure out, well, I know where I want to go. I just don't know where I am. You is here. (laughs) And these four events... Will happen, but they have not yet. And when you know that and you know you're here, how ought you to live? Second Peter three says, "We ought to live holy. This is in your notes. We ought to live holy. You ought to live holy lives, where, where you walk with God and run from sin. That's, that, that's, that's the, that's the next thing Peter says. Well, Once you figure all that out, you're like, well, first of all, I'm going to take God seriously. I'm going to live holy. We've been talking about that through the series, but, but then, then I'm going to live for others. We picked that up last week. I'm going to live for who? For others. I, I'm going to live for others. In fact, more detail I put, put in your notes. I'm going to serve people. I'm going to help people get to heaven. I mean, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to help people get to heaven. I'm going to help people get to heaven. Listen, as soon as this all makes sense and you figure what on earth God is doing and where it began, it all ends and it all turns on Jesus and I'm right here, I am now going to live for God and I'm going to help people get to heaven, right? No. No, that wasn't overwhelming. I thought it was delivered well. I thought it was true. I'll give you another shot. You might not have been ready. Maybe you guys nailed it. One of the other campuses. I'm, I'm sure the other campuses nailed it. But, but what, once you know the beginning from the end and that it all turns on Jesus and that this is where we are, you are now going to live for God and help people get to heaven. Yeah? yeah. Right? Isn't that, isn't that what we would do? That, that's part of what makes us different from everybody else on earth. I, mean, I hear people say that the world, this country, how did we get where we are? Dear God, send Jesus back and let's get it over with. Do you know why He hasn't? We've read it. Be- because he has compassion, He has what? Compassion. He doesn't want you. And everyone else, you know, going to hell and he made a way, but they don't know. In the midst of Delta's $5.2 billion closing previous year and everybody getting their bonuses. Makes you want to work for Delta at least for a week. (laughs) My son called me up and asked if he could come out to the house from his Atlanta residence. He came out, we sat down. He said, Dad, I'm, I'm making money. I'm winning in business at a new level, of course. I'm you know, I'm, this is brand new to me and it's really quite awesome. It feels like a big deal. He said, so for weeks now, He said, I'm sitting in the middle of this, and God is crushing me in my spirit. And he's saying to me, look what a big deal 5.2 billion is, and all the bonuses, and yet most everybody around you. He said, Dad, most everybody around me isn't going to heaven. And God won't let me sit there and celebrate and enjoy the business win and my first windfall without the Holy Spirit reminding me what's really going on. And he said, I, I'm I'm caught up in this sense that. I know I have the cure, but I'm getting caught up in cookies, and God is saying to me, at the beginning of my career, with some measure of success, do not make this the big deal. Don't make cookies the big deal, man. You have the cure. And he said, Dad, I I have watched you lead people to Jesus your whole life. I've never led anyone to Jesus. And I don't know how to do it. And God won't let me make my life about winning business and making money as the biggest deal of my life. God is, I'm seeing people differently. And, and I, they're in broken marriages and families, and they have no meaning and purpose. They don't know God created them and loves them. And they're embracing this big win as if it's going to change their life, and it's just going to fade. And God's helping me see all this, and I don't think I can let my life be about business. i got to be in it. It matters to God. It's a big deal in this world, and God's a part of it, but God's going to make sure that the cookies go below Delivering the cure. Dad, can you help me? I gotta learn how to lead people to Jesus. And as if uh, as if we just got the news that all our friends has ter- have term has terminal cancer, we just sat there and we couldn't say anything, just tears flowed down our faces. As the weight of eternity and what's at stake is sat there and the Holy Spirit wouldn't let us escape and live for cookies. I think think something of the compassion of God was landing on my son. Because you and I both know that you can know that and then drift right back into making the big deal. All about the stuff of this world. Later we unpacked Matthew chapter nine. I'm gonna put on the screen because I want you to see it. He and I talked about when he, Jesus, saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Can we leave that up there for just a sec? See, when he, Jesus, saw the crowds, he had what on them? Compassion. Everybody across campuses, online, say that word. He had what? Compassion on them. Listen, we need the compassion of God to land on us for a world who's far from him. Amen? Because they were harassed and helpless. Meaning what? Meaning that they, they, Satan had deceived them and they couldn't see it. And they're, they're, they're blind. They're caught in the deceit of Satan. They think that the big deal is this world and this earth. And that there is no Satan and there's no God to worry about. And there's no Jesus required. And there is no heaven and no hell. Like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest. The what? The harvest is plentiful. We'll come back to that. But the workers are few. In other words, there's a harvest there's a, there's a requirement to cultivate the soil of people's soul and dig it up because, because it gets, it kind of needs to be softened so that the word of God can get in their heart and so that their lives can, can, can come into harvest, that is come into the kingdom. So pray that the Lord of the harvest, by the way, Jesus is the Lord of the harvest, so no worries on this. It's not all on you. God does this work. The Holy Spirit restores people and brings them in the kingdom, but he's got to send forth workers, so you pray that he will. And by the way, you're the answer to the prayer, Right? Like when you say, God send workers, and he says, good, now you understand, so I'm sending you. What he was doing is saying, Jake, I'm going to send you. What he did in the next chapter, chapter 10, was send the disciples. In fact, I drew this out for Jake. I'll put it on, on the screen right here. I want you to see kind of this layout. I, I, I said, Jake, here, here's a road map for you. Cultivate, sow, harvest. If you want a road map for how you, how you witness to people. There's three phases, the cultivate, the sow, and the harvest phase. The cultivate phase is you matter to me. I mean, you got to begin by being a good neighbor. And you matter to me leads to you matter to God. And that's where you sow the seed, the truth of God. And then there's a point in time where they got to settle. Is God going to matter to them? In other words, you help them see, does God matter to you? Because God ultimately has to matter to you. See, when you're in that you matter to me, you're just being a good neighbor. You're loving on people, and you're, you're selflessly living for others. It feels like that's almost the cookies, like, like you're giving out cookies, but you know why you're doing that, because you're going to demonstrate they matter to God, but first they got to matter to you. And by the way, you can't talk to people about God and that, that they matter to God if they don't matter to you. You can't treat people bad and then try witness. That doesn't work. And then you help them. you got to change the conversation. As they matter to you, eventually you get to talk about they matter to God. And that's where this book, Grown Up Faith, comes into play. I would only have people read chapter 8. That first chapter I'd ever have somebody read. I'd be involved in conversations that answer the 10 questions. You sow the seed, the word of God, into their life. You get in conversations. Until ultimately you want to see them come to faith where God matters to them. we got, we got a whole bunch of equipping that needs to happen among us. Because listen... We're not monks. We're not even called to be monks. We talked about that last week. He's out the monks thing where we are relationally separated from the rest of the world. That's not us. We're not gonna go live in monasteries and wait till Jesus comes. We're supposed to be in the world but not of the world because God has called us to the big deal and the big deal is bringing people into the kingdom. They matter to God. Yeah, that's who we are. That's what we do. And so as I turn the service over to the campus pastors, it seemed to me maybe there should be a specific prayer over us. I'm gonna put the prayer on the screen and maybe you would receive it. Lord Jesus, would you take the compassion you carry for spiritually lost people and place it on me, send me, train me, use me to help people get to
2: heaven? Was my cross you bore so I could live in the free